We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Bellato. Today we're here. We've got a special guest with us. It's Matty Brown. You can find him on Twitter at Matty F. Brown. I highly suggest that you do because he's an analyst in the game that I actually heard about maybe two years ago from our buddy Mark Schofield. And I did a little bit more research when there were the rumors the Giants might be one of the teams trying to trade for Russell Wilson. Uh, from a report from ESPN at the time. And I wanted to find out, is Russell Wilson still Russell Wilson? So I started to watch some of Maddie's breakdowns and listen to how he viewed that quarterback at that time of his career. Maddie F. Brown, thank you for joining the show. You can find his work, by the way, on SeahawksOnTape.com. That is where you find the film analysis. And Seahawks Overload Podcast. That's where you can listen to him. You're going to hear an accent. He's from England. He's from London. He didn't give me his EPL team yet. I'm very curious to hear because I have a journey into English Premier League that is ongoing at this time, and I have not yet picked the team. I have a lot of important people in my life pulling me in different directions. I can go over that with you, Maddie, if you're interested. But why don't you introduce yourself again? Tell me if I messed up any of that intro, and then maybe give me your EPL team. So the Seattle Overload podcast, we probably should have called it Seahawks Overload podcast, but it is the Seattle Overload podcast. But thank you for the intro. And as funny, uh, the Russell Wilson thing, because really it's the Giants who put together that blueprint, uh, Patrick Graham at the time, defense, which exhibited or highlighted to the league a lot of the issues Russ had. And obviously at the time, Seattle was going pass heavy to like an insane degree, which did help out the Giants. But uh yeah, that was a the real kind of out in the open deal. And EPL, uh, the the English Premier League, Newcastle United. And I, oh. by the way, for listeners who are less familiar with an English accent, no, I am not a Geordie. I, I'm from the south of England. And if you, I was from uh, Newcastle or Newcastle, you probably would find it more difficult to understand me. But it's a family thing. I do have uh, Geordies in my family, so by all means, there you go, the Magpies. All right, Maddie. I want to get right into this matchup. Look, first off, I want to start by saying, thankfully, this game is not in the Pacific Northwest because that Lumen Field advantage, the twelfth man, is real. Going through the Carolina tape, I think Iki Iquanu false started about three or four times. I think Carolina had a collective eight false starts in Week Three. Uh, 
I think we should start with Geno Smith here. Geno Smith just threw 296 yards without Charles Cross, without Abraham Lucas. I think you guys were also missing a right guard, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. What is your overall takeaway on Geno Smith? What does he do well? And what are his areas that other teams and defenses have exploited? Is there a weakness that the Giants can possibly exploit there? Well, that's the thing. I think Gino at times can try to do too much with the football. I think at times he is overconfident in his arm talent um, and, and ability to access these tight window throws that he enjoys throwing. Uh, in terms of like a weakness, I mean, last year the, the issue for Seattle was their inefficient run game, so they, they didn't really have like that counterpunch, uh, reliable punch of running the ball when they needed to and just kind of take a load off Geno Smith. And then uh, middle field closed defense uh, where, and, and, and also how cer certain formations like their empty looks were pressured, um, like one high stuff, like uh, cover three, cover one. Gino, weirdly going from Russell Wilson to this, his, uh, it's not necessarily a weakness, but he's found it at times more difficult to pass the football against those looks. Uh, now, obviously the selection of Jackson Smith in Jigba, it, the, I think the kind of idea behind that is, okay, if teams are going to start playing one-on-ones across the board, now we've got that extra slot guy who can get quick separation, get teams out, those blitzing looks as well. I want to ask you a little bit about that selection of Jackson Smith and Jigba because I saw a stat this week that went over, you know, he hasn't played as much as people would have expected him to or as much as I, quite frankly, expected him to this season. He's not on the field a lot. The Seahawks are not playing that much 11 personnel. I get it because it's working for them, but... I'm also confused in some ways because I felt like, you know, this was the perfect fit. You get him in that slot. He's going to win those one-on-one -on -one matchups with DK and lock it on the field as well. Do you think that what they're doing right now is maximizing the offense or more so along the lines of just let's get this thing going in a, in the positive direction. And when we feel comfortable, we can start to go more 11 personnel. Uh, it's crazy, right? Uh, Cause you know, top 20 selection, everyone in Seattle, I think was, super super excited about the fact that seattle took a receiver that high you know then it comes out their third receiving target who they had planned to work in ds is suspended for the first four games of the season i think it's four games might be longer anyway th that's the topic on everyone's lips in seattle as well uh you know where is jsn now context wise he has more catches over his first three games than a rookie tyler lockett had so these things can t take time especially for those slot receivers coming out of college coming into the nfl you know we've all seen guys who are surefire things you know easy separators in college but just the different nature of coverages different hash marks etc etc that comes into play but with jsn he has been more of a decoy and i think it is just about what the offense needs right now uh, part of this is as uh, nick mentioned you know when you're missing both your tackles and stone Forsyth's filled in admirably on the left side as a sixth round pick um, in 2021, Jake Kerr, an undrafted free agent in that draft class, filled in admirably on the right side, and they've had some interior issues too. But you generally need the tight ends to kind of hide your tendencies a bit more, to help out the tackles with chip protection in certain ways, um, but yeah, to, to really not give an idea of whether it's run or pass. And so, you know, two tight ten looks, which Seattle's running at a, a really high rate, um, as I'm, I'm sure you Giants fans are familiar with multiple tight end looks, that just keeps JSN off the field. Like ultimately, DK Metcalf is a hell of a receiver. So is Tyler Lockett. How are you going to work JSN into that mix? And then the plays where he is on the field, they're you know they're trying to give him stuff to get open. Now he's not the uh, fastest receiver, but he's really really agile, very crafty in his route running. But like you look at the pick Geno Smith threw, 
That's him throwing it to Jackson Smith in Jigba over the middle, linebacker dropping under it, getting underneath it. Outside, uh, DK Metcalf's route is open because that linebacker, uh, they had three underneath players. I think that linebacker's gone to... Uh, the, the window just opened for DK Metcalf's underneath route. Lo and behold, later in the game, JSN's that kind of decoy dragging the underneath coverage away to hit DK Metcalf on the outside. So, you know, I think he's due a big game. Uh, I, like, there's no reason that he's not. He's not doing anything wrong. Seattle, it's not like Seattle isn't using, uh, you know, giving him good routes. Like, he's got, he gets good routes. But I think his big game probably comes later in the season or against a blitz-heavy team, uh, which... I don't know if the Giants are blitz heavy, but I know their reputation is is that. Um, but yeah, probably like when they need an extra answer later in the year is when JSN uh, takes hold. Along with the fact he hurt his wrist really badly, like it's surgically repaired. It's only six weeks, I think, from that. It's kind of crazy he's out on the field yeah. at all. Okay. So I, I know a clip went viral from the mic'd up inside the NFL uh, show that they have of a uh, Gino kind of you know pumping. Uh, JSN up saying, you know, it's on me, don't worry about it. Uh, it was just after the pick had happened and he did look a bit downbeat and, and sad. Um, but yeah, I, I think it will be okay. It's just you've got to be realistic with your expectations and, and kind of readjust them with how Seattle's having success on offense and, you know, what JSN's been through already. Especially when you put it into context, because not only did he miss so much training camp time with that wrist injury, he didn't play last year in college. He hasn't played a lot of football yeah. recently. So the slow start shouldn't really come as a surprise. He has 13 targets, nine catches for 57 yards. And you're right. That one interception, wasn't that just like a really good play on that underneath? I think it was a linebacker. Yeah, was it, was it? The, it was like the middle hurricane, like um, I, I need to watch it back. But is the middle hurricane like cover four or, or, you know, quarter, quarter, half? Yeah, it's not like the coverage fooled Gino. He just thought he could rip it in there. And it looked like the defender made a really right. good play on the football. But I think you bring up an interesting point about the blitz heavy team. The Giants are not going to have the same type of approach that they used against the 49ers because they were just outmatched on offense and defense. So Wink Martindale just said, screw it, and blitz Brock Purdy on 86% of his dropbacks. I don't necessarily expect that much pressure from Wink Martindale, but I'm curious to get your opinion. First off, is Charles Cross going to be back? Because Abraham Lucas is on IR, if I'm not mistaken. Is there any word on Charles Cross and his big toe? So Cross is should be back. I heard when when that injury happened that it'd be a one to two game thing, um, and then like day by day monitoring. I think it's like a turf toe type injury, um, and he's he missed uh, two games. Two games. Yeah, I think. <laughs> um, I'm trying to count in my head. So he he should be back, but. Uh, Pete Carroll, he loves mentioning the Wally Pips scenario where, you know, the, the backup takes the starter's job. And Stone Forsyth, like, he's played really well. Uh, he had a rough moment early getting an inside move from Brian Burns, but you cannot tell that there's a backup left tackle out there for Seattle. Now, his weakness has always been kind of, he's a big dude, like a huge dude, but uh, play strength-wise at times, he you know, technique-wise, but also just will, willingness-wise in the run game and against, like, speed-to-power rushers, he can kind of get bullied around a bit. But I tell you, he's played damn good at left tackle. So even if Cross can't go, that that's like a better or matchup in theory that, than you might uh, envision. Or maybe it's the week he gets found out. I don't know. Because I think the uh, chess match gets interesting between these two teams, depending on what the Giants... Because Banks, our first-round pick, is looking like he's going to play in this game. That was a question mark. And I'm wondering if the Giants are going to put a Dory Jackson in the slot over a JSN or if they're going to use a Dory Jackson on the outside, maybe in a shadow type of technique against a DK Metcalf. 
or if they just right. say, hey, DK Metcalf, you're going to go up against these rookies and Geno Smith is going to attempt to exploit that. That matchup, I think, is what's going to dictate more 11 personnel from the Seattle Seahawks. If the Giants do move a Dory Jackson, would you guys want to really try to hit JSN against the slot corner? More than likely, it's going to be Darnay Holmes. And are you a team that looks to exploit those specific matchups in the secondary with your wide receivers if if that type of scenario were to manifest? I mean, I think I think that is what they'd go for. But more than that, it it has been the way that when when they go twelve personnel and they get the base look, it's getting like a Noah Fant who appears to be putting it all together this year. Uh, last year there was a few things going on, like first year of Gino, uh, you know, acclimatizing to a new offense, um, you know, new surroundings, etc. Uh, and also in the NFL, he hasn't quite lived up to his potential yet, right? But as a like a height weight speed mismatch he, he's a real problem and you know they were able to get him against the lions for instance on justin houston covering an out and up wheel route and that's that's a mismatch um colby parkinson the other tight ends a six foot seven guy who can run pretty fast uh and then will disley he's not the quickest especially after back-to-back serious knee injuries but he is like a rumbling bumbling stumbling type who's a very good run blocker so they've got three tight ends that I think they feel uh, better than like coverage matchups around the league. That you know, if they can get them on a linebacker, it's a real problem. And what surprised me looking at this game is uh, Next Gen Stats says that the Giants have played the most base defense in the NFL. So four defensive backs out on the field, forty-four point six percent in base for defensive back personnel. Uh, is that what you guys see? And like, I know it's only a three-game sample size, but that seems wild to me. I guess they played the 49ers. I think, um, yeah, I think matchups are playing the role here. The 49ers, you have to match them. And then the Cowboys game was just so out of hand at by the second half that I feel like they were just matching heavy personnel with heavy personnel at that point. Because Wink Marndale, at least dating back to last season with the Giants, was the total opposite of that. And basically used sub-package more than almost any other coordinator. So, right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. That yep, makes sense. For sure. I, mean, I, also yeah, these... wonder how, I also wonder who, like, what is Isaiah Simmons in their, in their model? Because like players yeah, like that, no, the linebacker him as right, and, th- and there's players on the Giants who kind of teeter the line of what are they? Are they linebackers? Are they edge rushers? And I and I always kind of take some of those uh, stats with a grain of salt. Makes sense, but like I said, the the tight end group, they I think they feel they can run any part of their offense with these those guys out there, and that's how they've been explosive in the main is is multiple tight ends out on the field. I mean, if I look at their their Yards per play in 12 personnel is fifth in the league. Uh, and in 13 personnel, they're third best in the league. Wow. In 13 personnel, they get 7.3 yards per play. Um, they're, they're able to run the ball, pass the ball out of that, and and it helps out those that protection issue that I spoke about as well, if, if there is one. And Giants definitely had some issues dealing with 13 personnel in the past, including last week. I have a question for you, um, an overarching question and we're going to eventually flip it to the other side of the ball with the other side of the matchup to me this is the one that deserves a little bit more focus at first though and i want to ask you about something that nick mentioned and you mentioned a little bit earlier which is you know last game seahawks don't have their starting left tackle they don't have their starting right tackle they're also without their starting right guard and yet they generate a shit ton of offense i mean almost 300 yards passing from geno smith a ton of yards in the run game 
When this happens to the Giants, it feels like they're helpless. I mean, you watch these games, and I don't even understand what we're watching at times. And yet, all these other teams, and not all these other teams, but a lot of these other teams, the Texans, the Seahawks, just for examples from just this year, are seemingly able to do it. So is there anything you saw from a schematic standpoint on film that led to them being able to mask the deficiencies of a banged-up offensive line with three new faces? Or what? What kind of, like, how does that work? Well, I think part of that is about staying balanced, right? Like, not... um not not getting in third and longs where it's clear passing downs but also uh not having clear you know tenancy tells not which is early in the season right but still you know having a a personnel that says run or pass having a a formation that says run or pass i think gino himself is very very good at using the protection in the pocket and the way that he's able to move around pocket and and work with what's there and i think their usage of play action and the way that they sprinkle that in uh, it is very useful to, uh, but also these guys just played really well. Like, okay, they're not dropping, taking seven step dropbacks. They're not doing that. They, if they want to take a shot, they're using play action to do that. Right. Um, and and it's an effective fake for whatever reason. Uh, but you know the, the, these guys played damn good. And believe me, as a, as a Seahawks follower and someone who's covered the team for a while now, I'm familiar with that feeling that you have no offensive line depth for that you know you just don't have any good offensive linemen like seattle has been in that situation before but it seems john schneider is the general manager you know he came from green bay a while ago now but they're kind of doing that same thing of hey we're going to take this dude in the fourth round and he's probably not going to be ready this year but uh next year after we stash him he might he you know he has the body to play in the nfl he just needs to acclimatize the nfl techniques maybe unlearn some bad habits and then and then get ready to go now the guy that we're talking about here on the interior is anthony bradford who was actually a fourth round pick this year yeah and he is absolutely massive like he, he's a mauler he looks like a right tackle of right guard mm-hmm. um you guys remember dj fluker uh, yeah he's, he's kind of, and he played in seattle too he's kind of got that element to him he was mauling dude uh, and super exciting uh I think Phil Haynes, who's the starter at right guard, will be able to go this week. But there's some kind of it, it feels weird, and it feels like I shouldn't be saying it because it's tempting fate. <laughs> at one point, Seattle was down to four backups in on the line, which would, did wow. prove too much. Um, they, they got sacked immediately, but luckily, Damian Lewis on the left side was able to come back into the game. But you know, I don't want to tempt fate, but it feels like they have genuine depth at the position, um, and their offensive line. Is playing well now also part of this and maybe this is what's going on with the giants you guys would know best than me you know quarterbacks can cr- create pressure for themselves um quarterbacks can make the offensive line look worse than it is and russell wilson for all his brilliant improvisational ability ability to extend plays at times his pocket behavior created pressure uh you know exacerbated the the problems up front um and gino is amazing like is a pocket a pocket presence he's he'll stand tall in the pocket and and work with what he's got so yeah i mean the play out the play that i just put on twitter a little earlier for giants fans i mean the throw i'm trying to remember exactly when it was in the game but the throw to to metcalf where he manipulated a pocket on that play that I've seen 95% of NFL quarterbacks escape. The minute there's that hint of interior pressure, they just escape. Unfortunately, Daniel Jones has been falling back into that habit a lot this year where he's just immediately escaping at the hint of interior pressure or really any pressure. Um, But what Gino did was he, like you said, he did a really good job of resetting, finding a new landmark 
and throwing the football. And it got, you know, with anticipation to hit Metcalf and stride. So I think that's a great point you made. Like sometimes it is on the quarterback to, you know, these sacks are not all in the offensive line. But of course, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, Giants fans listening. We are well aware because <laughs> I trust me, Matt, you have no idea how some fans take this stuff. But we are well aware that last week the offensive line was so, so bad with the guys like Lemieux in there that it really didn't matter. One matchup I want to highlight real quick is the center. Now, I just looked up his pressure rate. Watching the game, I felt like Derek Brown got the best of Evan Brown. Evan Brown is the center on a bunch of different passing occasions. Dexter Lawrence is our best player on defense, and he's having a phenomenal season. He has yet to have a sack. We have not seen the sexy Dexy dance yet. Hopefully, we see it on Monday night. Do you have any worry about Evan Brown holding up against Dexter Lawrence? Because Wink Martindale, one thing he does so fantastically is scheme one-on-one -on -one matchups, specifically in passing situations. And how does Evan Brown hold up in those situations against someone of the caliber of a Dexter Lawrence? Well, that's, that's interesting because Seattle's kind of the center position in general. They kind of treated it as like a part-time rental. And like around the league, center's generally not that highly valued um they don't get paid as much um they don't get drafted as high uh people and, and seattle's they had austin blythe there for uh two years before that they had even posick but they kept trying to sign him to like one year rolling deals basically and then brown is signed to the center position this year he is not that highly paid uh, you know he's on a, on a one-year deal as well but he did beat out their rookie fifth uh, round draft pick, uh, Olu Oluwatimi from Michigan. And honestly, his play has been pretty impressive, like higher than Blythe so far, um, especially in the run game. He has like a bit of a guard background to him and he, he kind of reach blocks guys a bit like a guard. But like ultimately, my, my point with mentioning all that, how centers around the league aren't that highly valued is I think a lot of centers would have issues against these types of, no, you know, nose tackles who have that power. Um, and they don't grow on trees either, by the way. But, you know, when you're talking like a Dexter Lawrence or, or a Derek Brown, yeah, that's going to cause a problem. The key for Seattle is going to be avoiding those clear passing downs because, yep. yeah, he's going to get bull rushed. He he, 100% is. And that's maybe where Seattle, if they get into those third and longs or even second and longs, right, that's where they incorporate maybe a, a running back as well uh, as a sniffer getting up and sort of doubling the, the nose tackle, which is hard if they're head up, isn't it? Or or maybe even a tight end in the backfield, which Seattle's shown a propensity to do in those situations. Matty, in the I first quarter, I saw a play-action GH counter bubble screen that you guys ended up running to Tyler Lockett, went for like yeah. 16 yards. I was like, very creative. And but it's a screen I, as well. <laughs> it's I know. A screen. It was, Seattle sucks at screens historically. So do the Giants. So do the Giants. Look how much we have in common. But I didn't see much power gap or counter while watching the tape. And that was also something that we noticed when the Giants played Seattle last season. The Giants are pretty good at fitting the runner, or at least last year against zone teams. They, they're pretty disciplined, but power gap, they can't fit at all. And even with the addition of Bobby Okereke, they still can't fit all that well. So I just wanted to ask you, do you think this coaching staff and this philosophy, do you think they're going to incorporate GH counter and counter runs and power gap pulling type of linemen to maybe exploit this critical vulnerability that the Giants have had since Brian Dable became the head coach? So they are obviously like from the Sean McVay tree, Andy Dixon, the offensive line coach who I mentioned, he, you know, he likes his mid zone uh, yes. and he likes that kind of wash on the backside to then cut back. But they, I think they sprinkle in enough of that GH, GU, uh, GT 
uh, kind of counter plays. Like, it's Kenneth Walker's favorite players. He said, yeah. like, coming out of college, he loves the counter. And part of that is because he's like a home run hitter and he will just cut back plays unexpectedly. He'll yep. bounce plays out there. He won't even wait for his pulling guard. He'll just try and hit it. Uh, it kind of gives him, I think, in his mind, the, the freedom to really, really start bouncing stuff. Uh, but also, like, I think they sprinkle in enough of it. As we saw in the Walker touchdown, they, you know, that they, they kind of pick the right moment or at least have uh, this season to, to, to go into a gap-style run. So the touchdown play... The Panthers were playing a lot of press coverage down there. And so what they had was Tyler Lockett pressed up on by a DB. He comes inside, uh, takes out the DB who runs with him in man coverage, takes out another guy, and I think takes out the safety trying to fill. And Seattle pulls to that edge. So they basically get two guys to the point of attack and and no one's really there. And Walker just walks in unblocked. Uh, you'd have to watch it better than my description. But, you know, they have an average rush EPA. They're second best in the league right now. So I think their run game has enough diversity within it to to cause some issues. But I'm excited to see, you know, how how it does do against the Giants because they're top 10 uh, rush defense, right? So it it will definitely be a good challenge. Yeah, Bro, I just watched the play. I'm sorry, Dan. But Colby Parkinson just tossed the end man on the line of scrimmage inside. Like, if he does that to Kayvon Thibodeau, Giants Twitter is going to absolutely break. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah Colby's not known as a blocker. Oh, really? Wow. And I don't know too much about Colby Parkinson, but that was obviously a play I want to keep an eye on now and take a look at after this. But, Maddie, a question with regards to that, because I was looking at it last year, and the numbers were pretty crazy i thought like kenneth walker in power gap concepts versus kenneth walker in zone concepts as a rookie last year was like night and day from a production standpoint from an efficiency standpoint so i am interested in what you just said where it's going to be kind of like a you know not like a home run type thing but like a time it right and pick the right spots to run it but i do think what you said is so true about his running style so i'm curious if they're we, we're going to get a game at some point this season where they use a lot more than people expect and i hope it's not this game because <laughs> if they look at the tape last year and they look at the tape this year for the giants they're probably going to be like this is the spot for it but one more thing i want to talk about before we flip to the other side of the ball a player who both nick and i loved in the pre-draft process i fell in love with him he's one of my favorite prospects i've studied in the last few years at the very least is zach charbonnet the running back out of ucla I want to get your early thoughts on tape from Zach Charbonnet because I haven't seen much. I did watch obviously last week's game, and I know that was the game where he finally started to work in more. Yeah, so interesting, interesting pick, right? Uh, you know the Seahawks love their running backs. Took him in the second round. We can get into positional value and all, all that fun stuff, or or we can just talk about the tape, which I'd prefer to do. And in preseason, you know, it's that classic rookie experience of. It's just working out the NFL timing. It's working out, hey, that's a hole. You've probably got to hit the hole. You can't try and dance and find something backside. You've just got to hit the hole because now you've danced and hit, tried to hit something backside. That front side thing or the hole has has closed and now you're getting a tackle for loss or, or one to two yards. But I think the vision with him is he's like 250-ish pounds, uh, 250-ish pounds, like 240-ish pounds-ish. Yes. He's a heavier back and he's that kind of bruiser compared to the uh, where i was going four five forty i don't know why i was thinking of, of the weight he's a slightly slower guy but um compared to like kenneth walker who is the home run hitter the idea of charbonnet at least is that he's that more efficient in between the tackles will get you those reliable yards and uh he was the number one fbs running back in success rate on first and second down uh and i think you're starting to see that efficiency like that last game against the panthers 
was super, super insightful, I think, to the vision of the compliments between the two. Like, Walker was kind of losing his mind out there. He was like, you say, stop cutting it back now. You've just caused Colby Parkinson to get a penalty because you've cut back, like, wide zone way across field. Like, we're talking not just a cutback. We're talking, like, bent it, like, down to the opposite sideline sort of thing. Where And then Charbonnet came in, uh, got some reliable yards, demolished a Panthers defensive back low in his pads, and then um, Walker comes back in the game and goes off, gets NFC player of the offensive player of the week. Um, interestingly, Peter Engler, who's a... Um, uh, he's a Seahawks... and uh, like He's in the Seahawks as a like data analyst, I think. He tweeted out during the, the pre-draft... Like, not pre-draft, during the pre-season... Uh, a clip of Marshawn Lynch after Charbonnet ran over a ran over a Vikings DB, and there were like element is sacrilegious to say it, but you can kind of see the organizational vision there of there are elements to the way he cuts through contact and has yeah. those low pads and and sort of slashes and then hits someone rather than and almost like he could have a slightly wider leg stance to be Marshawn. Uh, Marshall is one of one, but, you know, Seattle's had these physical backs in the past, like a Chris Carson, a Thomas Rules, who was unbelievable until the physicality caught up to him. And, yeah, I, I think Charbonnet also is contributing on passing downs a bit more. Yeah. They've worked him in more there. So it is becoming more of a one-two punch. Walker's obviously the kind of star, and he'll always have that dynamic, explosive ability to, to get stuff. But Charbonnet brings that extra physical edge um, and the in-between-the-tackle stuff. And, you know, the vision things that I saw in the preseason, just, you know, reps, 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 live action. And I think that he's starting to clear those up. So, yeah. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show. 
And then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company and then found us in this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business. And they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of Blue Wire. If you would like to be a part of the Blue Wire investment round or you want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash Blue Wire. And remember, supporting Blue Wire is another way to support our show and this podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your day. Look, when I'm hungry and I want to munch on something, whether the Giants are winning or losing, I always go with pizza. And Caesars is my go-to choice. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before NFL games, and get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. It could be sausage, pepperoni, you can combine toppings, you can get creative with whatever type of pie you want from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Priceline. 
Maddie, I want to switch over to the defensive side of the football. You guys have an interesting defense. Some some uh, <laughs> some young some young players. You guys are getting healthy now with Jamal Adams possibly coming back, Reek Wolin, Col- uh, Kobe Bryant possibly. Blitz rate of twenty three point nine percent, which is twenty first in the league, but a pressure rate of sixteen point seven percent, which is twenty seventh in the league. I saw creepers, sim pressure. You guys run a lot of three buzz, weak uh, skate type stuff like that. I just want from you. I know you're a big X's and O's guy as well. What's the elevator pitch? of this defense and what do you think the ceiling is for this specific defensive unit well not uh, not only am i an x's nose guy i'm a i'm a seahawks defense guy i i love my defense uh, and this defense is uh the elevator pitch is last year they were awful at fi- playing the run right like they were abysmal at it uh, and this year if you look at epa they're still bad but they're not bad they've fixed a lot of stuff up front Last year, they were trying to play like a Vic Fangio-style scheme. Uh, this year, they've changed up how they're playing the run, and I, I can get into the minutiae of it, Please but uh, a few technique changes up front, um, kind of implementing stuff Pete Carroll did in the past before 2022 with their current personnel of having uh, like an actual 3-4, like two kind of lighter edge types. Uh, they've done some really intelligent stuff, and yeah, I said about the EPA, but play, that's kind of because they gave up touchdowns, but if you look at yards per carry, which ain't the best measure, but yards per carry to running backs, Rams running backs 2.6 yards per carry, Lions running backs 3.5 yards per carry, Panthers running backs 2.6 yards per carry, and in the preseason, I think they averaged 2.6 yards per carry to running backs. So this run defense is really, really good, um, and it hasn't. They're not like selling out to stop the run. They're just structured in a much more intelligent way. Like I'd love, you know, we we need to talk about their pass defense. Um, I think the elevator pitch, though, is that their pass defense improves because this is going to be the first game that they have their actual starting defensive backs out there. Like, they haven't had Jamal Adams. This is his first game back. Devin Witherspoon's in his third game of NFL action. He did, he missed week one. Uh, Reek Woolen's back from a, like a, or should be back from a, I think it was a sternum injury, like an injury to his chest. Um, and, you know, all the, all the national media types was calling this Legion of Boom 2.0, but we haven't seen it yet. So the elevator pitch is that they can stop the run, and then when teams need to pass, they're going to be able to clamp up against the pass. Just don't ask me about Bobby Wagner. Well, I'm probably going to get to Bobby Wagner, but I actually have that in my notes right here. Defense sound structure with run fits. Fit is married to coverage well when they're in too high in quarters. It's an organized defense. And then I say, explain why. So, Maddie, can you explain why they're that's organized? Your, that's your notes? Yeah. That that man, I love that Nick. I love that oh, you're watching the tape. That's uh, that's so so true. Yeah, last year it was absolute nonsense. Like they're having a, they're having the, they're just no one knows what they're doing. Um, you got a guy who's like you got a two gap in uh, nose tackle. You got linebackers behind who are like, is this my gap? Is this my gap? Uh, it's just like it's awful. Giants. Yeah, <laughs> um, like giants. I feel like two oh, years no. ago it was oh. even worse. And that game, two or three years ago, the game that you talked about where Patrick Graham kind of exposed Russell Wilson, felt like on the other side of the ball, that was some of the worst run fits I'd ever seen in a single game by the Seattle Seahawks defense in that game. Wayne Gallman went for like almost 200. In that <laughs> yeah, like that. yeah. <laughs> oh, Wayne, yeah. That was the Wayne um, game. Oh, man. So, yeah, no, the, the, well, sorry, Nick, what was your question? I've, I've, uh... So I just wanted you, because we like the minutia here on this podcast. Our listeners okay. like the minutia. Can you explain why it's so well organized from a run fitting and a coverage standpoint, how they're married together? Sure. So essentially, um, back in the day when Seattle was a 4-3 uh, a f- team, uh, but with 3-4 personnel is how they termed it. 
Um, that's like referring to their base defense. Now, their base defense is a 3-4 personnel, so two outside linebacker types, um, and and then a 3-4 defense. But, <laughs> c- confusingly, um, nickel exists, right? And they're running a ton of nickel. Um, now, in the past, because they had uh, kind of a, like a bigger defensive end and a smaller defensive end when they were in nickel they would have one of those edges tighten up a bit um and and play an over front like a four down over front but now they're they're making it work in nickel with the two lighter edge types so like the like uchen and the wosu uh Dow taylor they're like 250 260 pounds when i say a heavier edge i'm talking like a michael bennett who's like 275 yeah. so in nickel they'd play michael bennett over a tight end and he would just go okay, I'm going to play the D-gap if the ball goes there, but I'm also playing the C-gap, and this tight end is dead. Like, goodbye. Um, now, because they've got lighter guys, they, they still do that, but they start off wide, and then they'll they'll spike them into the C, or they'll play heavy in the C. Um, but they're also doing, to, to make, like, too high stuff work, last year they were basically asking a safety to try and do that from depth and then sl- clog up the front, make it really slow up front, and then that safety would come in. It was kind it didn't really work. Um, this year, what they're doing is they're playing, uh, so it's like a 4-3, right? Uh, but but it's personnel-wise, four guys down at line of scrimmage, two outside linebackers on the edge, then two inside linebackers with a uh, nickel type. But that nickel could be like a big nickel. Uh, it's basically like, if you imagine a 4-3 over, it's basically like that guy's like a Sam linebacker. So he's like super involved in the run fit and, and kind of fixing problems. And so with uh, Jamal Adams returning, it's a discussion over whether he plays in that nickel spot to kind of make the the four down fronts work when they're playing five DBs on the field. Or, which we haven't seen, does he replace Julian Love at strong safety? And do you put in... Uh, yeah, do you put Kobe Bryant, if he's back from turf toe, does he play the nickel, which he had been doing before he got hurt? Now, I know you guys will be interested about Julian Love because, you know, he he's with the Giants. Big free agent signing relatively, like mid-tier, right, in Seattle. Kind of surprising, hmm. but they kind of needed him for the, the depth there because Adams was coming back from injury. Yeah, so obviously Julian Love is back with the defense and... Uh, and he hasn't had a, the best start to his career with Seattle. Mm. Like, he had a, some really rough moments, uh, some missed tackles. He improved in that second half against the Panthers. Seattle in total got uh, nine pass breakups, and I think Love had two of them, three of them. I think, like, part of what's been going on in the secondary for Seattle overall, especially with Love as well, is they're not used to playing with each other. And they're just bust from communication and then just like, not even bust, but just like assignments not carried out as well as they could be if guys knew where their other guy was going to be, which is a classic thing. But I know that love, loving for the Giants was one of the best defensive players, right? And you, you guys loved him. He was their defensive captain, right? Um, or he special, was a special, team. special teams captain, but he was a pivotal part of the defense after Xavier McKinney broke his hand during the bye week. And he was a pivotal part before that too, if you want to be right. honest. But I was I was kind of expecting him in Seattle to be like so this nickel role um it it gets blitzed a bit sometimes and I was expecting him to get these kind of like 
Adams replicating blitzes and stuff and be a bit more down the line of scrimmage. But they've just kept him high. Like Now, that's not strictly true. Like When Seattle plays base or say they're in uh, like a one high defense and you know there's two tight ends out in the field or, or it's a 21 personnel and they need that safety in the box okay then it you know they could get blitzed a bit but love hasn't really got those opportunities that i i thought he would so yeah it's interesting to me because i i saw something today the giants on third downs last year was one of the biggest reasons the giants won football games last year is because they were unbelievable on third downs this year, they're one of the worst teams in the NFL on third downs, and that's natural regression, but also some people were like, is it just Julian Love? And I was like, eh. I mean, I watch the tape every week. It really doesn't feel like it was Julian Love to me. It feels like it was mostly the pass rush and the design. But I am curious to hear from your standpoint because the Seattle Seahawks were also in that boat, and in general, they're among the league worst in DVOA as a pass defense right now, among other things, among metrics that I, that I appreciate for pass defense. What what's the biggest reason for their struggles so far in passing? Is it as simple as injuries? Like they literally have three of their guys in the secondary out until this week. Lucky for the Giants, I guess, or unlucky for the Giants, a reality. But what what on, on tape? What are you seeing? Because to me, it looks like this is a matchup where the Giants could potentially get their passing game going. Yeah, like I, I was going to ask you guys. I see Giants are uh, 29th in average pass EPA on offense, and Seattle's 29th in average pass EPA allowed. So. <laughs> What what gives, huh? Um, yeah. Maybe they're both crap and <laughs> they have a mid-off or a low-off. Yeah, so the parts defense, uh, yeah, part of it's like that lack of continuity. And then like Stafford played out of his mind. Uh, McVeigh called a great game as he always does against Seattle. Puka Nakua is Cooper Cup 2.0, like who who knew? Um, <laughs> and they had that and Andy head Dalton start threw for 361. <laughs> On 58 attempts, to be fair. Okay, okay, that's fair. <laughs> so let's lot. talk, yeah. So the Andy Dalton thing, that to me is slightly, slightly overblown in that they completely shut down the run. And like Pete Carroll, if, you know, Nick rightly brought up the attempts, Pete Carroll will happily let a team pass that often because, you know, yeah. the line of thinking is, you know, they're not going to win the game doing that, that, that many yards per attempt. Um, now also in terms of the, like the Panthers passing game, their last eight third downs, they went six of eight on third down. But before that, they were kind of kind of struggling to move the ball. Like that game never felt out of Seattle's control with how their offense was moving the ball. Um, they they played the backup safeties on the last drive. Um, and it was a lot of dink and dunk from Dalton, but also some crazy kind of play extension stuff in a way that like Stafford wasn't play extension. That was just bad coverage from miscommunication. You come to like Jared Goff, and that's that was a really good offense at the time. Uh, still, still believe it is. Uh, they moved the ball in a slightly different way. They just played ISO ball. It was Devin Witherspoon's first game, but like a whole chunk of those yards is a flea flicker on rookie Devin Witherspoon. Uh, then a Trey Brown deciding to press um, in a bad situation. Uh, he's not a starter at cornerback, um, and then a coverage like bust slash mishap between between dudes i so what i'm saying is i think the past like if the past defense ain't better especially in that secondary then there's big problems because or or it's you know or it's just because you know it's adams's first game back i believe is a lot better at past coverage and popular narrative but you know that kind of chemistry still needs working on and it is only week four um 
so so maybe it does suck but i i kind of doubt that um i'd be very disappointed if that were the case now the other thing here at play is bobby wagner so Mm. bobby wagner's been like very good at getting guys out on the field and getting them in the right spots playing the run being aggressive against the run all that's good stuff but as a coverage defender he really lacks the ability because uh, he is 32 now, 33. But he lacks the ability to, one, pedal, back pedal as quickly as he used to be able to. But then two, when he's committed or when he's broken one direction, he can't redirect in another direction. And his just lateral agility and burst overall is, is just dwindled. And so what that means is if we're talking concepts where, you know, there's three underneath defenders and it's like cover four, or say there's four underneath defenders, but you're shaded to one side um, and you're playing like quarter, quarter, half. So like cover six or half quarter, quarter, cover eight. Bobby's ability to to cover in his hook is, or his, his underneath zone, his underneath match is lessened. So while, you know, he still might grade high from certain companies uh, in coverage, in terms of like what coverages Seattle can run, like the tools they can use, how aggressive they can be, um, but also like how teams can stretch them with like the middle triangle reads and stuff, it it really is a thing. Um, and they're insistent on playing him on all the downs. Uh, he's the green dot wearer right now. And, you know, when you've got a guy like Jordan Brooks who can move really well, having Wagner out there, he basically... Uh, in dime, which Seattle will want to run a lot of, six defensive backs. Like any passing down, they'll be in six defensive back stuff. But Bobby's that linebacker, and they'll rush him a bit to try and and they'll they'll try and give him easy assignments. But I think that just limits the the full uh, Arsenal uh, repertoire uh, menu of what Seattle can get into as a defense, and it is a kind of it is kind of a problem. Like you watch this Panthers game back, and and. You know, it's not technically Bobby. Like it's not. It's not like wow, this this guy messed up here. But it's you can just see like the impact of having a guy who can't can't quite move as well, a linebacker. And it doesn't help that Bobby in his prime was unbelievable at being yeah. able to click and close, burst and move. Uh, we we are you know we've been spoiled uh, watching Seattle in the past with with Wagner out there. So that is a that's an extra element along with like the 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 newness in the defense, the the new the guys learning each other. Sounds like something that maybe the Giants can look to exploit with Darren Waller or possibly Wandell Robinson, who returned last week. I have one question just from the tape. The second and five at the end of the first drive with the Carolina Panthers possessing the football, did you see it was a delayed tight end play action, like split zone type of run? Yes, the leak with Adam Thielen. Why ran right by Bobby Wagner and right through the cleared out zone. Is that something that you've picked up on in the past? Because the Giants, I feel like they have to try to incorporate that. Probably not with Darren Waller because there's going to be so much attention with Darren Waller, but maybe either a slot receiver, Paris Campbell, who has hardly run down the field any routes beyond five yards, or maybe even a tight end not named Darren Waller like a Daniel Bellinger. Uh, that's that's one of the ways you kill this this defense, right? Like, yeah. it's very difficult to play cover three to that. Uh, um, Seattle has different ways of playing their corner technique and their curl flat technique to to try and uh, well, not to try and defend that primarily, but to mix up the the picture slightly. But that you know, if Dalton had had the time to get that off, then there's a touchdown. Um, and I, you know, that's not really a, that's not a Bobby Wagner issue. It's more like the curl flat and the deep third corner. 
Mm. They, they have to work that out between themselves. Um, now, that brings me to kind of a, a point which I, I think is where the game's won and lost for the Giants, which is, um, well, on offense at least. So against 12 personnel, so which the Giants like, right? Seattle will start mixing in um, base looks. So that has been like a 4-3. So technically in Seattle terms, two defensive linemen, five linebackers, um, and then four defensive backs. But let's just, you know, it's a 4-3, right? 4-3 over. But if the Giants are really going to get into those looks, Seattle will go into a 3-4 personnel. So three linemen, four linebackers. But it's, it looks like a 5-2 yep. or a 6-2. Um, now, if they're in cover three, they're really trying to stop the run, it will look like a 6-2. It might not pre-snap but post-snap the way that they get in move the guys they're playing with those lighter edge types but they'll slant them inside and and get into that 6-2 front what that means is and you know i I know this because this is what happened seattle in 2019 2018 when they're running these fronts uh thanks to the 49ers uh the browns when uh, stefanski was doing some good stuff um the back like the guy you know the guy one of those guys Two of the guys down at the line of scrimmage in the six, right? The two edge guys, which is the strong safety and like the weak side outside linebacker, they have to simultaneously set the edge, but also uh, come back and play the curl flat. So if yeah. you can run off that deep third corner, a uh, bit of play action, and then, you know, do a leak play like Nick's mentioned, or, you know, just post wheel uh, was a real killer where, you know, you, you play action, you have a guy on a jet running the wheel route, and then you you have a post route running the deep third corner off that jet into the wheel route is going to get open because the, the the curl flat player is going to come up play the run and the he's responsible for that wheel route as well it, it, it ain't going to happen like that um so if the giants can manufacture those looks out of seattle that's where they would have success um yeah like darren waller is a terrifying uh, proposition even though it hasn't quite uh, materialized yet has it but i saw how they're trying to get him open and yeah. Post wheel was also something we ran so much. The Giants ran so much at the beginning of last yeah. season, so I would not be shocked to, to see that. Come back. And the Giants almost burned uh, the Seattle Seahawks on it last year with Lawrence Cager. It was his first week dressed. They ran a wheel route with a just an inside route from a condensed number one. Cager was wide open. Jones just missed him. I think he got hit as he threw the football as well. And one more thing I just want to say before we do predictions and get out of here. Jerron Reed is going to be a problem for the interior offensive yep. line of the New York Giants. That guy was all over Carolina, and I'm a little bit scared of him. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy because, you, you know, they, they let all of their interior defensive linemen walk who played really good run defense in 2020. Well, not really good, but fine run defense in 2021. A lot of them there in 2020 when the run defense was very good. But then in 2022, they screw them up with a weird scheme. I, I'm sure some things were said which may have uh, expedited their their moves out of Seattle too. I know some stuff was going on behind the scenes there. But they signed Jaron Reed, who you watch his tape in Green Bay, and he's playing kind of a two-gappy style, so not really his forte. But he looks poor. like, And that's their plan. Like That's their plan at the nose tackle. And they'd had these big 340-pound Al Woods types playing on the opposite side of this, well, not the opposite side of the city. For the other team in New York, the the Jets, um, they play in the same stadium. But um, they, they, you know, 
and they go to a more of a 310 pound nose tackle and it's just about being more one gap up front and he is thriving yeah. being able to play on the outside shade of a center and just get upfield and play hard and fast and, and have some penetration up front um he's he's been absolutely outstanding like one of the best defense tackles in the nfl these first three games if he, i hope he can keep it up because the one thing is he's you know he's not old but he's slightly older that 32 now everyone's 32 you can't they can't all be 32 but he, he you know he's slightly older and and it's in terms of like what they have behind him they have a rookie uh like fifth round pick so depth wise it's like eh, eh. um <laughs> we don't have anyone who's going to play one tech over the center uh but yeah that that's going to be a problem for the giants uh week four he should still have some legs so all right, Maddie. Thank you so much for joining us today. We like to close this show out with predictions. We give a score and a winner. You can choose to partake or you can choose not to. We always give that option to the, jet, uh, to the guests. Some people don't like doing that. But I do want to remind the listeners, um, and I just want to sh- shout you out for this. I, This is, in my opinion, one of the best interviews we've done. The observation you made about how Seattle is shifting the way they can co- they, they can play their coverages because of Bobby Wagner's limitations at this stage of his career was incredibly in- insightful and interesting to me. And I'm going to look into that when I go watch this, when I go watch a little bit more Seahawks, Seahawks defense heading into this game, Maddie. So remember, you can find his work. You can find him on Twitter at Maddie F. Brown. You can find him on his website. Seahawks on tape. And then you can find uh, Seattle Takeover is the podcast name. So Maddie, why don't you get out of here by giving us a score prediction for this game? And Vegas has the Giants as one and a half point favorites, which a lot of people found surprising. Wow, there we go. That's that is slightly surprising. I guess Monday Night Football, young team, Seattle, uh, first time in the prime time for a lot of these guys. Maybe they just bottle it. Uh, I will go thirty seventeen to the Seahawks. Okay, Nick, I'm going <laughs> to okay. let you take over the next one. <laughs> yeah, I have it actually 28 to 20 Seahawks, unfortunately. I think the loss of Saquon Barkley is is a lot, but there's a lot of new moving pieces for Seattle. Giants got to win this football game, but that's what I'm going with right now. Yeah, look, this is a must-win game for the Giants, but that doesn't impact the way Nick, apparently, and myself are going to predict it. We're just going to predict what we think will happen. Last week, I pretty much nailed the score. I think I had 30 to 13 49ers, and it was 30 to 12. So trying to do my best here just to get it right. Unfortunately, I am also picking the Seahawks to win this game. I think big factors in this one will be the Seahawks getting so much healthier in the secondary, but also the Giants without Barkley. I didn't love what I saw schematically. They really just didn't commit at all to the run. It didn't allow them to get into doing what they did great against the Cardinals in that game, which was get into heavier personnel, put Jones under center, and let him run play action to set up those passing shots. And from the shotgun right now, I don't have confidence in this Giants passing game. So I think the Giants will get a little bit more going on offense in the 49ers and Cowboys okay. game. So so that I definitely will give them. But it's defense. Geno Smith, I love what I've seen on tape against him last year against the Giants. I've seen similar shots this year. He's really like, like Maddie said before the podcast, as he made a comparison about Geno Smith to a future uh, former giant. I won't run him through that again for the comment section. I won't put that back out there, <laughs> Maddie. Um, you know exactly what I'm talking about, even though yeah. I kind of agreed with the comparison, but I'm not deaf. Now I'm definitely not putting it out there. Cause as I said, I kind of agree with it, but um, yeah, I think he's going to take his shots. Geno Smith, that's what he does. He challenges tight windows and the Giants have not been good in past defense. I just don't see that fixing itself in 11 days uh, or whatever it's been since that 49ers game. So long story short, I'm going with Seattle 30, Giants 23. 
And one more thing, too, just before we get out of here, people are like, oh, the Giants would have won. And I think we've even been guilty of alluding to this. Giants would have maybe beat the Seahawks if Richie James didn't fumble those two punts. Giants went three and out on their first, what, three offensive possessions. The only touchdown they scored was set up by Tyler Lockett fumbling the football back on his own end. So it's a little bit of an aggressive take. And I know that was up in Lumen. It's going to be different out in MetLife. I think the Giants certainly have a chance to win this football game. But unfortunately, we're both going with Seattle, all three of us. Yeah, I think if this game happened later in the year, the Giants would have a much better chance as well. I just want to I want to say that. I just don't love what, what I've seen from the Giants so far this year. And maybe, you know, Seattle have, putting those new guys back in the secondary might short term at least hurt them to some extent with the communication. We'll find out. But obviously, Nick and I are not too optimistic. But thank you so much, Maddie, for joining us again today. And hopefully you have a great weekend as well. Uh, thanks so much for having me, guys. When, when you see Jamal Adams blitz off the edge and it's play action and they throw it over the head of... Uh, you uh, Chen and the Wosu say uh, for the post wheel touchdown. There you go. <laughs> I will just literally be happy to see Daniel Jones throwing the post or the wheel on that because every other time it's mostly been just the backside. Uh, the backside, it's a drag. The post wheel is always the backside concept. And it's yeah. to the field side, and they just it's going to be open up. then. Just throw it. It's always <laughs> open, but we'll see. And block Jamal Adams. Throw. Yeah, <laughs> yes, please, please. All right, it's that time of the week, Nick. It's prize picks time. Remember, go to prizepicks.com backslash banter. That's prizepicks.com backslash banter to get your $100 deposit matched. So you'll put in 100, you'll get 100, based like a free bet. And you can win these prize picks too, like we will every week. Well, not every week. We've been okay no. this so far. We're trying to get better. The Giants have sucked. It hasn't helped on offense. But this is a good week, I think, for the prize picks, Nick, because I feel like this is a good week for the Giants offense to get back on track. The Seattle Seahawks defense, specifically their pass defense, has been among the worst in the NFL with the Giants, both in DVOA and yards per loud per game in the passing game. They're giving up big plays. I just watched the tape of Andy Dalton, the Carolina Panthers backup quarterback against the Seahawks, and there were a lot of busts in coverage, I felt like. Um, both sides of the ball, by the way. I thought Carolina had a lot of busts. Too bad we don't get to play Carolina this year, the Giants, that is. But, or do we? I don't know. I don't have the schedule memorized. I don't know we do. Yeah. But I'll say this. There were some busts in coverage for Seattle. Now, I know they're getting back some big players for this game, Tariq Wallen, uh, potentially Jamal Adams, among others. So it is going to be a more difficult task, but I still think system-wise, the Giants can find some holes in this coverage and figure out ways to explore it for big gains in the passing game. So my prize picks, Nick, and I can share the screen right now. I'm going back to the Danny Jones well with more than 217.5 passing yards. Danny, you're calling him. Yeah, calling him Danny. He's Danny Dimes, I guess. I guess the Danny Dimes moniker, that makes sense. But I know you're not a Danny guy, Mr. Schneider. I'm not a Danny guy. I'm not a Danny no. guy. Never been a Danny guy. More people than uh, have called me Danny lately because um, I took on a moniker during during the COVID days when I was playing a lot of online poker as Danny Nichols. As a little play on words for Danny Dimes. I said, once Daniel Jones starts throwing more dimes, this was 2019, by the way, or 2020, I should say, by the way, once Daniel Jones starts throwing more dimes, I'll call him Daniel Dimes or Danny Dimes. Right now he's Danny Nichols. And I like the name Danny Nichols. People are like, ah, that sounds like a good name. It's a funny name. It's a good screen name for poker. But that's how I came known a little bit more as Danny. I got to say, Nick, I've become a little bit more warm to the idea of being referred to as Danny. I like it at this point more than Daniel. I don't really try. I know Daniel Ballinger. I asked him about this, but. I don't love a. I don't love going by Daniel. I just. I do, do you want people calling you Nicholas? I don't think so. 
It's a weird sounding thing. Like that's just my my mother. So your hierarchy, it's Dan, Danny, Daniel. That would never was. You... Danny has somehow surpassed Daniel in recent, you know, in recent months, in recent years. Funny Danny... enough, though, Dan, I actually grew up with somebody named Danny Nichols. Really? From my hometown. Yeah. That was his nickname, obviously, right? No, it was not. That was his Nichols real name. was his last name. Nichols. That's not the most insane last name to ever be uttered. <laughs> I've seen kind so of, many. Never, last I don't names. think I've ever met a Nichols before. <laughs> but I'd, just, I'd be the first person I've ever heard with a real last name Nichols. But I guess he could claim make the claim that I stole his name, but I didn't. I came up with that on my own, among the other various witty things that I come up with. Not, but here we go. Daniel Jones, more than two hundred seventeen and a half passing yards. Look. I have a lot of reasons for thinking this, but I know I felt, I felt this way last week, but I just think in this game, in this spot, the Giants are going to have to come out and be a pass-first offense in this game. Yes, they're going to want to try to establish something in the run game, but the Seattle defense is much more tuned in to stop the run than the pass, so the matchup calls for it. A lot of play action. I hope they go under center, but just run play action out of it. I'm also going with Darren Waller, more than 45 and a half receiving yards, Nick. Now, as far as that goes, I didn't get the garbage time receiving yards I hoped for last week from Waller. I mean, I didn't get many receiving yards at all from anyone. The Giants threw for 135 yards passing last week in an NFL football game. It was not pretty. It was not exciting. And it was bad. But this week, things are going to be better. Hopefully, Andrew Thomas is back. Brent Bredesen is almost definitely going to be back. And that's going to help a lot because Shane Lemieux was an abject disaster last week. McKethan's going to start again. That's fine for me. Evan Neal, some people think he's getting better. I'm still a little concerned, but... I think that should be fine as well if Andrew Thomas and Ben Bredesen are doing well on the other side of the ball. So more passing, Darren Waller more than. And then Kenneth Walker, I have left 64 and a half. This was my favorite, most confident pick. Last year against the Giants, Walker had 51 yards, so he came 13, 14 yards close, but averaged 2.8 yards per carry and had 18 carries. And in that game, Nick, only one other running back had a touch, and it was Travis Homer with two carries. Judging by last week, the snap counts, the snap shares, there was a big jump for Seattle to get Zach Charbonnet involved. And guess what? Zach Charbonnet looked freaking awesome because he is freaking awesome. Did you see him shoulder that dude to the ground as he ran to the end zone with just baller-ass moves? And I've seen him do that on UCLA tape. I love that kid's tape. And I don't think they're going back from it. I think they went to 60-40. That's what it's going to be in this game. And that sucks. I don't want the Giants to have to face Charbonnet. But that means that Kenneth Walker is going to have less of a running back target and touches share than he had Last year's matchup against the Giants won the Seattle Seahawks won by 14 points, and he still didn't get 64 and a half in that game, Nick. So I'm very confident, very confident in Kenneth Walker less than. And those are my prize picks for this week 20 to win 100. Throw them in, blame me if you lose, and that's where we're going. I had the same exact prize picks and wanted to change it oh. up a little bit. I'm going to keep Daniel Jones more. And Darren Waller, more than 45 and a half receiving yards. It's Daniel Jones, more than, I believe, what was it, 217? I don't have it right in front of me. But I think yep. Daniel Jones and Darren Waller, this connection has to finally flourish. I don't believe the Seattle Seahawks are going to allocate the type of resources or, or do the same exact thing that the 49ers did against Darren Waller. And if they do, I expect the Giants to actually make them pay and prepare for it because Seattle's defense is nowhere near as effective or as strong as the 49ers. So I expect Darren Waller, Daniel Jones, more. I had Kenneth Walker. Okay. I think he will get less. But 
all it takes is one strong run. And I just have not been impressed by the New York Giants ability to fit the run this season. I have not been impressed by Bobby Okereke, not been impressed by the safeties filling. And I really have not been impressed by the defensive line, not named Leonard Williams or Dexter Lawrence. This gives me a little bit of hesitancy. because all it takes is one long run from Kenneth Walker, who is explosive enough to make that a more. But I would take the less. But I'm going to alter this just a little bit, Dan. Okay. And I'm going to go with Geno Smith more than 253 yards. And that's a lot. 253 is a good amount. It's not good. It's not good. Now, he's had more than 253 in the last two games. He had 328 against Detroit. He had 296 against Carolina. We can't even get to 135 over here. No, exactly. Mm -hmm. He went more than. But I think there's going to be scoring in this football game. I think DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, JSN, who really hasn't done much. You're going to see a little bit more of those deep passing. I think there's going to be play action. I think you're going to have the deep overs and and concepts that the Giants have struggled to defend against Josh Dobbs and players like that. The Giants just came off a game where they surrendered, what was it, 310 passing yards to Brock Purdy? It was in the threes. So this is where I'm a little bit of a coward. I'm not as confident as I should be, and I'm going to go with the cowardly move of flex playing it. Oh my God. That's like two of three weeks. You flex play. I know. I know. And guess what? It's, it's going to result into wins. (laughs) I'm I'm about the flex plays. Look, I'm about the flex plays because to me, to make it analogous to baseball, I'm going to hit a single with the flex play. I'm going to hit a single with the flex play. I'm going to hit a single with the flex play. And then when I'm really confident in my picks, I'm going to hit the grand slam. I'm going to hit the home run. And then I'm going to go all in instead of not going all in when I'm not as confident and then losing it all and striking out like a loser. Like well, I'm going to go with the baseball analogy as well. Then Nick and say, I'm like the new age baseball teams that say that I don't need singles. I'm going to go for the home run. And if I get a home run one in every three or four times, it's still worth more than the single three of four times. For example, if it's a one of four, because you are still getting more value five times versus 1.5 times X. So it's a numbers game for me, Matt, Nick, it's a math game and I'm a gambler and you are not. So I, understand why you're going with the safe a hundred percent man uh, just an absolute coward man and i get it man i want to i want to do a better chance my... to win this week and it's fun to win i want to just a better chance to build up my bank account yes. before i start making more risky moves i'm a little bit more conservative when it comes to just Fair. gambling and stuff like that look listen i uh oh i gotta stop sharing i um I didn't say it explicitly, but of course, I'm not going with the flex play this week. I'm going all in, baby. I want the five <laughs> to one payout, and I'm going for it. And so let's do it, Giants. Let's find a way. Those are our prize picks for week four. Giants at Seahawks. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your week.